and the only the only person who was completely against that was my grandma and my grandma forced me to apply for a job at the university so and, and that's why I put her phone number on my application letter and she was the one who maybe um, arranged everything she arranged my my invitation she arranged my contract my job so everything and this was maybe the beginning of my my journey to otolaryngology when I specialized so it was my grandma Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rhinoplasty Podcast with me, Dr. Cameron McIntosh. We're in the month of June, and it has been enabled by Vectra from Canfield Scientific. If you don't know what a Vectra camera system is and the 3D morphing it does, you better Google it because these guys are absolutely <coughs> next level. So I'm very excited for to today's podcast because this is a guy you might not know, but for more than a decade, he's had an influence on my life. He's one of the first chapters I ever read in a remarkable rhinoplasty book um, by Anthony Sclafani called Rhinoplasty on this whole functional side of rhinoplasty. And it's an absolute honor and privilege to have Werner Hept all the way from Germany on the episode today. Werner, thank you so much for being on today's episode. Yeah, it's a big pleasure. Thanks for the introduction. Awesome. So, Werner, we can, there's lots to chat about. Um, we, we've been listened to in more than 70 countries around the world. And uh, the, the, my, the first thing I'm really interested to know is just tell me your journey about where it all started and how you ended up taking over from Enrico Robotti to become the president of the Rhinoplasty Society of Europe. It must be an amazing journey that you, you, you had. Yeah, I think in, in the, um, the, the interest in, in, let's say, in ENT medicine, in otolaryngology, and started in my, my studies, of course. But at that time, I was, I was not that interested in facial plastic surgery, but more in oncology. And maybe that's why I did my thesis in oncology. And um, so after my, um, I finalized my studies, um, my decision was clear to go into a, a specialization in otolaryngology. And not in facial plastic surgery, but, but frankly, at, uh, after graduation, I didn't know if I should immediately uh, apply for a job because um, I was at that time uh, a ski instructor, a tennis player. So I thought, on, I mean, it, it would be an option, an alternative to get money from that. So, and the only, the only person who was completely against that was my grandma. And my grandma forced me to apply for a job at the university. So, and, and that's why I put her phone number on my application letter. And she was the one who maybe um, arranged everything. She arranged my, my invitation. She arranged my contract, my job, so everything. And this was maybe the beginning of my, my journey to otolaryngology when I specialized. So it was my grandma. And I mean, yeah. And my, my letter boss, um, I mean, they were so sympathetic and he, all the time he asked me, what's about your, your grandma? So that was a kind of relationship. But anyway, it was good for me because then um, I started my specialization at the University in Heidelberg um, in oncology. Um, I did my, my habilitation. So it's, it's a, in a way a PhD for professorship. And then uh, at that time, uh, I started with my rhinoplasty work. Uh, and facial plastic surgery, but I wasn't I wasn't that interested only in doing that because uh, in Germany, if you want to to apply for a for a head of a department, 
you have to deal with all fields in otolaryngology, also in otology, which is next to oncology, maybe the most important uh, issue. And that's why I changed from, from my, my home university from Heidelberg to a medical school in Hanover to do ear surgery, exclusively ear surgery. So I did cochlear implants, I did all this kind of, of stuff. And uh, even at that time, because I was quite experienced um, when I came from Heidelberg with otoplast, uh, not only otoplast, rhinoplasty, plastic uh, surgery, um, I, I, maybe my, my journey in rhinoplasty went on, not only with um, otology. And then finally I applied for a, for a department and fortunately, it was in 1996, I got the job here in the clinic. So I, I, um, I got the boss of a, a clinic of uh, otolaryngology, headed neck surgery and facial plastic surgery. And that's why um, at that, that time I was quite young, but I, I could focus more on my, on my bias. And my bias at that time wasn't, wasn't anymore um, oncology, it was cochlear implant surgery, ear surgery, but more and more rhinoplasty. And uh, that's why I focus from that time because it was easy for me. Um, because I, then I was the head of a department to, to invite maybe um, famous doctors. And then they taught me and especially Klaus Walter from Switzerland. Um, so we, he came several times to my clinic. We had in, in a way an exchange program mostly for me, but also for my residents. So uh, it was a close relationship at that time and was very fruitful. And this maybe was the beginning of my rhinoplastic career. So let's say after oncology, after autology, I jumped um, exclusively right now in, in rhinoplasty. Wow. But Werner, you, you're still the head of the department. So do you have other people who are doing the autology and the oncology underneath you? Yeah. So right now we have a, a department system. So we have uh, um, a section for oncology. They're doing the microvascular flaps, uh, reconstruction, all the larynx and, and hyperpharynx tumors and oropharynx and so on. Uh, then we have a section for um, sinus surgery, skull base surgery, and also for autology. And for autology, we do cochlear implants, but uh, I don't do it anymore. I mean, um, because I, I've, I'm so focused on facial plastic surgery right now but I have uh, good colleagues and, and we all work together. But, but of course, um, I have to leave these fields um, because you, you, you can't deal with everything. Of course. Okay, we're gonna be, I wanna, I'm gonna circle back just now to another thing. Carrying on on the, like, the academic side of things, I know one of the, the passions you have within rhinoplasty is um, objective and functional testing of the nose. Maybe you wanna tell the listeners a little bit more about that. Yeah, the functional testing. So I, I think I was, I was always upset with the diagnostic tools in rhinology because, you know, we, we don't have any um, objective measurements. If you want to assess exactly what's about the, the function, there's, there's no rhinomanometry and um, acoustic rhinometry. So you don't have a, a reliable tool. You can check it. And that's why uh, we early started some investigation with this airstream simulation and uh, it's very nice and even now I um, I keep on doing that with, with um, a colleague in Switzerland with a colleague in Berlin so we have a research group on that and um, we do right now um, airstream simulation um, 
as in a, in a way as evidence-based medicine in um, rhinoplasty and not only in, in the functional rhinoplasty but also in aesthetics of course because if you if you make um, investigation of, of maybe the, the isthmus or the valve area you are in the mid of the, the tip of the nose in, um, and of course everything influences not only the function but also the aesthetics so it, it's, it comes together everything and it, it's very interesting because I think this is for the future so fruitful to do this kind of research because this is the, the, the first clear and, and real objective reliable tool for me. And so the question is how affordable is it for the general rhinoplasty surgeon because you're sitting in an academic institute where you can do this computational fluid dynamics and, and airflow testing but I use four-phase rhinomanometry on every patient and yes. I've got a Cone CT scanner to help but it's 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 still not what I want it to be. And do you think we'll get there one day? Yeah, I, I, I think sure, sure you will get that. I mean, right now it's 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 not easy because you you need a, a high resolution CT scan, and with all these data, um, you can do this computational fluid dynamics. So numeric simulation could be done with a high resolution data from the CT scan, but you can't do it by yourself. You need a big computer. And it takes a long time right now, and maybe in the future it, the computer are getting better and, and faster. And uh, I'm sure that uh, big companies, maybe Philips or, or others who um, uh, who sell the CT scans and even MRIs, very interesting in the future, they they should combine, and I think they will combine because then they have both they have morphology, and they have a functional um, information, and that's for for everybody would be helpful. So therefore, yes. I think my, my hope is that uh, providers or constructors of, of CT scans and MRI scans um, will um, jump on this boat and combine that um, this, this functional work as well. Yeah, it would be perfect. That'd be great. Now, now Werner, a few months ago, I was in Bergamo where you um, became the new president of the Rhinoplasty Society of Europe. I mean, congratulations. It's absolutely great. I'm so excited for your enthusiasm that you're going to be bringing. Like, I mean, Enrico is enthusiastic, goodness me, but to now fill his boots. So, yeah, tell us a little bit more about um, that exciting new role that you play. Yeah, exactly. So, it's, it's not only Enrico. Uh, I, I want to I have to follow it. It's, I mean, um, the founding member of the president was Wolfgang Gubisch. After Wolfgang, it was Nazim Czechis and Enrico Roboti. So big footsteps I have to go in. So oh, yeah. that was in the beginning. I was quite concerned when they elected me to, to get the next president. So um, how, how could I arrange that? Even I, I'm hardworking, but um, it, it's, uh, it's not easy to gain that level that uh, Enrico, for example, with Bergamo course and, and, and Nazim. Uh, set so, um, but anyway, um, I think it's 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 so fascinated in in this new society. So it's um, it was founded, I think, eleven years ago, and now it's increasing, increasing. It's growing, and we have so so nice people over there. It's it's we have discussions. So we have uh, more than six hundred members right now from from more than uh, sixty five countries. And it's growing and growing, so it, it, it makes a lot of fun and um, it's, it's really for me a great pleasure. I'm, I'm so grateful to work with all these uh, brilliant friends and guys and, and uh, even you, you know this, this um, time right now, it, it's so interesting because after, after that period of uh, sleeping of beauty, where nothing happened in rhinoplasty, we have since a, a few years 
we have with unbelievable development and this development mm -hmm. also is is brought in these societies and therefore um, it's 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 absolutely not boring right now we are yeah. in in a in on a wave of course and we have to to settle down but on the other hand it's so important right now to assess uh, the techniques to get um, an idea what's what's good exact especially we have to take care of our uh, young people um, of our residents not to misguide them because they, they hear every, everywhere uh, go only for um, preservation rhinoplasty and leave structural ones so um, I'm a bit concerned um, that young people get confused in that and um, but you, you hear that all the time and we, we, we launched a fellowship and the first question of these guys were where I can uh, have a look to preservation rhinoplasty and I told them okay hold on I mean rhinoplasty uh, preservation type it's only maybe 10% um, of your pop of your of your clients because yeah. um, and 10% if you have a hump of course maybe a, a mild a moderate the nasion is perfect the the, the, the dorsum is nice and uh, and the tip is not absolutely twisted it's perfect because you don't touch the skin you, you everything is fine and it's also um, quite quick, and and there's no need to reconstruct, you know, that or uh, for the middle wall. So, but but the 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 point is right now because every, everything is filled with this preservation thing, especially the the dorsal preservation. And I think um, in the teaching and in in the um, taking care of our young colleagues, um, we should a bit focus more on all the other techniques. Not only structure one, we, sh we should come from the base, from from the septum, and um, we have to to teach them how to to fix maybe a deviated septum to the bone, uh, making a drill hole from a premaxilla, how to deal with the with the, the the most common deformity of a septum, the the caudal deformity, and to to teach that, and then step by step, not. Um, maybe begin with the with the dorsal preservation and then a hump reduction. I mean, we, we did that. I was taught by my teacher in the beginning a, a letdown technique, and I was so frustrated because I didn't understand the procedure, and um, I had so bad results in the beginning that I left that completely. But uh, this is this is the only concern right now, and um, from the from the society the society's task in the future. Uh, should be not not only with the with the um, experienced guys the discussion, but also to guide our young colleagues in the right direction. A hundred. So, Werner, so two questions I have around the society for the listeners. Yeah. So, the guys you're listening from anywhere in the world, maybe at Malaysia or wherever, how do they become members of the Rhinoplasty Society of Europe? I mean, I've been a member. I love it. I come to the meetings. It's an incredible society. But how do people actually? Um, apply for membership and it, do, can they if they apply will they automatically become members or are there certain criteria they have to fulfill yeah I, I think if you go to the to the homepage um, there's an application form and um, you, sh you should be, there's no need to be um, a specialist even at, at your your late term in residency you can apply for that um, but you you need uh, two people who uh, give you the credits and uh, and then you can apply and all applications Go to an application committee, and they will. Uh, they are. They, they only have a look to the application, 
Uh, and then you uh, even um, if you come from Asia, from Africa, from from everywhere, I mean, you can get a member of the um, Rhinoplasty Society of Europe. And we have many, many people from other countries, not only Europe's and, and also for our, it's so nice uh, that for our uh, first fellowships, we, ha we selected five and I think only two or three are from Europe. So we have one from Peru, we have one from um, from Kuwait or uh, from, no, excuse me, from Egypt. So, so we are open. That's awesome. Okay, so Werner, now for the really exciting question that I have. This, this uh, apparently, there is a really cool meeting happening next year. So, in many ways, this this meeting that you're going to tell us about, the first time it happened was in Versailles in 2016, and um, that's where through Peter Scott, I got to meet Rod Rorick, who invited me to come to Dallas. He said to me when I was in Dallas, Cameron, man, why don't you have a rhinoplasty society in South Africa? I came back to South Africa, reached out to a couple of my mates, plastic surgeons, ENTs, and we started Saucer. And about a year or two later, Saucer just exploded with doing lots of cool webinars, etc., etc. But I'll never forget that first ever international meeting, the IMR HIS meeting in Versailles. And uh, Baum and Gairon being the keynote speaker who stood up at the first time ever. And I might have heard about all these guys and seen their names. And he shows these three photographs of before and after. Beautiful results. And asks the audience if they can see the difference. And obviously we can see the difference. But he says, no, look very carefully. In all of the first three photos, their mouths were slightly open because they were breathing through their, their mouths. But in the second, their mouths were closed. And he said, if you don't fix the function of the nose and get that septum right, no matter what you're doing, don't do the rhinoplasty. And that really had a big impact. So that's talk and the, the Congress itself. So... Tell us about what's happening next year in Berlin. I think also um, you, you, you talk as, as somebody who comes from otolaryngology, this, Frank, because uh, yes. you, you and, and I think this is a big difference um, between the plastic surgeons and, and the um, otolaryngologists because we come from, from the bottom, let's say, and they come from above. And, um, and the, the interesting thing is that um, in uh, maybe in these meetings as um, next year in Berlin, this is a third international meeting of rhinoplasty societies of the Europeans and our, of our sister society in the United States. Um, we, we have everybody. So we, we focus on function, we focus on aesthetics, we have plastic surgeons, we have otolaryngologists and, and um, facial plastic surgeons. And um, I think the next year will be um, especially interesting because um, now we have we get more and more experience with these new techniques. With all these, um, how how to do your subdorsal strip, your your strip, your caudal technique, maybe the one um, Milos and Dean um, published. So it, it's really interesting. Uh, what is the best? And to have this discussion, I'm I'm very very happy to have these uh, discussions then. And, and also, I think um, next year, it's the first time um, we, um, we get, let's say, a bit bigger concerning the societies, because um, in the future, that's why also you got an invitation and um, people not only Sosa from South Africa, but also um, South America is important. We have brilliant mm -hmm. surgeons from South America, from Brazil. Unbelievable. We have in Asia, excellent people. So uh, did we, that's why we took the decision 
to to open the society and to open let's say Imrish um, for for a broader community a broader community means so um, it comes from 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 us um, from the um, Rhineplatz Society of the United States and from from the Europeans but I think in the future we should get broader <clears throat> and we should integrate everybody because we everybody can learn from from uh, each other and uh, it, it will be so fruitful in in the future if all the it's it's not the whole world okay we have some some spaces <laughs> left but anyway the the policy next year will be uh, with an unbelievable faculty i think we um, more than 50 persons get an invitation worldwide so um, the the two societies expand um, the fields and that, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm very curious um, about next year in Berlin and I mean Berlin is, is a perfect place uh, Berlin is the home of Jack Joseph um, who was maybe not the first but maybe the second who published um, rhinoplasty and in, in this famous book and he worked in the charity and um, one of these evenings will be in the historical uh, hall in the charity it's very 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 interesting so this there will be a gathering and um, and the, the whole meeting will be in the middle of Berlin next to the Brandenburger Gate so it's it's a fantastic um, area it's not in the Eidlon as two years ago um, we, we planned before COVID it's now in the Steigenberger but it's it's next to the to the Brandenburger Gate to the where the Chancellor is and so we are in the middle of Berlin so therefore um, I, I hope that everybody will be content and, and will like that and of course really right, listen to that yeah the, the listeners on the podcast, you cannot miss next year's IMR HIS meeting. So it's the, it starts on the 30th of June next year till the 3rd of July. Whatever you do get there, there isn't going to be a Bergamo meeting next year. If you go to IMR HIS, it's IMRHIS2023.com, that's going to bring you to the website. So make sure that you go there. Okay. So, Werner, let's ask you another yeah, question. Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm so intrigued to be talking to the professor of uh, uh, otolaryngology <laughs> department. I mean, that's when, when, tell us some funny stories that might have happened to you in your career. Um, on the one hand, and the other hand, when things just went really wrong, what, what is it that, because you've, you didn't just get, you had to work extremely hard to get where you got. So I, I'm interested to know what make, what gives you that, um, will to want to carry on improving yourself day in and day out yeah Cam, I, I was afraid um that you were going to to ask me that may <laughs> where i get my energy but i i think the 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 key I, I don't frankly i don't know um i mean i have some maybe some medical genes because uh, in in my family we had uh, ophthalmologists we have orthopedics we have dermatologists and i'm i'm the first um ent guy uh, but anyway, it, it's not only genetic. I think you you need passion. You need um, um, you 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 must be crazy in a way. And if if you if you have um, if you do your work, if you love your work, you get so much energy from that. And maybe that's that's the key. If you have a passion, if you stick to a problem, if you um, if you try to get better and better, and um, are not frustrated. You get so much energy, and it, it's like a fulfillment. So, for for me, maybe that's that's uh, my my source of energy. And when I'm in the OR, I feel happy. I, I I don't feel stressed, and I I think 
I don't know who who mentioned that uh, that he is um, so happy in the OR. Was it Goxel or somebody? Uh, uh, yeah. Goxel's happy always. Yes, he's, he's always happy, happy when he has wine. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> wine, okay. But anyway, it's it's uh, even me. I I like wine, um, red wine from red wine from your country, from Boschendal. Yes, yes. It's a, the best. Is uh, I will yeah. I will bring you some red wine next year to Berlin. Then okay, from Boschendal. But please, Lady Bird from Boschendal, okay? Okay, okay. perfect. <laughs> okay, skip it from the from the podcast. Anyway, okay. Another question for no, you. No. What do you do when you are not doing rhinoplasty? Yeah. Um, when I do not rhinoplasty, that, that means when I, I'm not in the clinic, I yes. have to deal with my private clinic. So I, I opened the private clinic in Baden-Baden uh, together with my wife. She's a dermatologist. So we do um, a lot. Um, let's say the, the, the clinic's name is Skin and Face. So we, we not only do um no surgery um I, i learned a lot from them uh in in skin treatment so therefore i'm um i'm i will be there but when i'm not on work um i try to recover and to get my my other part of my energy with my family of course at the weekend it's it's absolutely reserved and within the week i i like to play tennis and um and i in, in winter times i go skiing so skiing for me is one of the the best um, opportunities to get uh, more energy. So I, I like doing sports and sports is for me another must. Not every day. Yeah. I, I try to do it. It's, I'm not in the, um, I don't, don't have the opportunity as you um, to swim and, uh, but I can jog. Uh, we have some pools here. So, but anyway, to do sports and to bike and, and uh, this is, maybe this is uh, another key. And Uh, yes, and wine, as uh, all you other guys, red wine, white wine, we have here, uh, it's a nice area for white wine. Um, okay, wow. that's all my pills. So, Werner, you know, I actually spent a lot of time in Germany when in my previous life as an athlete. I used to live in Augsburg yeah. on the Ice Canal. We used to paddle there. It was a, it was a wonderful time. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a country I love so much. Eh? Yes, it, I, I heard about that. Uh, you you were in the Olympic uh, team for of South Africa, isn't it? Or yeah, for uh, for slalom kayak. I used okay. to speak some German, but I've lost all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they have good facilities for to doing that. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so I want to I want to end it off with one last item we started to talk about, but I really want to hear a little bit more about what you think. And this is this whole preservation side of things. Um, it's a hot topic at the moment. We did a really interesting um, podcast with Prof. Wolfgang the other day. Um, he actually gave a talk at um, Peter's uh, meeting at the European uh, rhinoplasty course in Brussels. And then I thought this was such a good talk. I wanted to hear what Prof. Wolfgang had to say. So maybe share, share some of what, what your thoughts are at the moment around this to the listeners. Uh, I mean, um, we have the, the same let's say try because uh, our teacher was one of our teachers was um, Klaus Walters that's why uh, Wolfgang and myself we 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 think similar we are uh, not we, we don't do the, the same type of surgery but we we think similar so therefore I'm um, I think I'm happier that we have this wave because um, We got new ideas. It was an innovation, and it was absolutely a must that we have these um, publications from Roland Daniel, from Yves Sabon, um, and from Boris Chakir. And so, because we we have to rethink 
and we have to reinvent the old techniques we all know. And we can't say, uh, come on, the, the techniques uh, 100 years ago are, are bullshit. They are not, but they have to be revised. And we have new instruments. We had, we, I mean, we have piezo uh, with, the, with the option of delicately do our osteotomies. We can remove some lateral wedge resections and calculate how much on that side, how much on that side to, to correct a deviated nose. Um, we have the scraper of, of Boris, which is perfect for me to, to do this, this upper um, osteotomy. I, I like so much. And so we have, we have new tools, we have the power instruments, um, we have new drills, and we have an, a new sophisticated thinking, uh, which focuses also to um, anatomical studies. I mean, even at, in the older days, we had anatomical studies, but the anatomical studies right now, um, for example, from Peter Palhasi and from, from Ingalina from, from Sicily, it's unbelievable. I mean, this, this quality we never had before. So that, that means we have new instruments, we have uh, more knowledge on um, pathology, on anatomy, and, and we have a, a bit more uh, of this di open discussion and we are completely open. That's why I think you mentioned that, that we, we, the, the learning process is completely different because we can talk in web webinars and, and you, can, you can have a look to even the, the big bugs, how they, how they deal with the uh, letdown and um, maybe um, a set plus C of, of the septum. So you can see immediately and then you can rethink and then you can digest and you can go into the OR and perform. And that's a good thing. On the other hand, um, I think the, the indication for this, let's say the, at first the dorsum are limited. And um, I, I was so surprised in hearing the, the last podcast from, from Theo. I like him so much. He's, he's such a nice guy. Uh, but he's doing um, exclusively primaries. And maybe my, my um, patients um, are as, not that Wolfgang ones. But I have 70% maybe secondaries. Um, I have a lot of ribs to do because I have tertiaries, quarteries. And I'm so happy when I see a primary, a primary hump. It's, it's paradise. I mean, with a straight with septum. A straight septum. I mean, exactly. That, yeah. Exactly. With, with not a deviated septum, you see, and, and they can't breathe. They can say, okay, a small uh, maxillary crest, a little turbinate reduction for breathing purposes. And but uh, a, a slight, a, a nice skin, and it's it's such a delicate, nice surgery, and the outcome is is really brilliant. So I'm for those patients, for the primaries, um, nearly straight septum, maybe a bit um, turbinate work, and um, a straight line, not a cano shape. I, I I don't think that the cano shape will work. Not a not a deep nasium, um, and not an ugly tip. It's 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 brilliant. Therefore. Um, I think the same as Wolfgang, so um, I think we, we have different um, clients, we have different um, maybe experiences and, um, and I had the same, maybe that's why we think similar. I mean, Wolfgang is, is a bit older than me, but um, I was trained by, by Klaus Walter and he never in his life opened a nose and he was the best surgeon I know next to Tony Bull and maybe Gene Tardy. These were the, the masters when I, when I learned everything. And even Tony Bull was such a good surgeon. They, they never opened a nose and, and really unbelievable. And then we, we changed because uh, 
maybe 15 years ago, we opened the nose. We saw that from the plastic surgeons because nobody in, in the ENT area was allowed to open the nose. It was, so it, this came from, from the plastic surgeons, mostly in Germany from Wolfgang. So I learned that from him. And um, because it was easy to learn it from him because he's, he's one of my best friends and he showed me everything so I understood. And then now I again changed because I did nearly completely 100% um, open rhinoplasty. Now I changed in these 10% indications to close rhinoplasty. I don't uh, do the, the Gerxel thing when I have an, an, an easy case. Um, I do my osteotomies, I remove my, my subdorsal strip and, and do everything. Um, but it, it's, maybe it's a bit less even in my, my office than 10%. But everybody should be happy who yeah. has more than 10%. And uh, these, these are the pearls in rhinoplasty. And, but, but on the other hand, we shouldn't talk uh, not only about the pearls. And everybody who, um, who, who is doing that should know how to reconstruct anything because if you do something you have to deal with your complications and if you don't have a close friend or somebody uh, maybe your teacher who helps you in in a, in a when you, when you have a disaster in in your follow up uh, it's it's not the best but you have to to learn to do your complications by yourself that's my my credo and that's why um, I'm, I'm a bit concerned that, that everybody only jumps on this source of preservation, which is really, I, I, I don't object against that. It's, it's perfect. And even the, the thinking that you preserve the, the scroll area, the vertical and the horizontal um, ligaments between the upper leads and the lower leads, it's brilliant because that's preservative, not, not here in the, in, the, in the dorsum, but in the valve area. And this is so so important and that's why yeah. i'm so happy that everybody um uh, taught that but uh no I, I think we see right now more and more complications i i think one of my most challenging one will is on my um, surgical schedule maybe in in, in a few weeks uh, a lady who got two times a letdown because of a let's say a, a mild to moderate hump but the, the complete bony framework um, has sunk in the nasal cavity right now. So from, from, the, from the outer period, it, it looks right now like a dish face, like a trauma. From inside, every, everything is in. So it's a, it's a huge, um, let's say, um, bad influencing of breathing. So, and, and to do that after, after two letdowns, with big removal of um, of the of the frontal process of the maxilla and yeah. of the nasal bone, yeah, yeah. that's a thing, and and you have to do that, and um, and I think for for these revisions are much more complicated than other revisions. So it's it's for me it's not hundred percent that the revision of a, a preservation rhinoplasty is an easy thing. Mostly it's an easy thing because um, the um, the complications. Um, Mostly I see is maybe a recurrence of a hump. It's, it's not a big thing. You can, you can deal with that, even if you do it from, from, from the surface. But these dish faces, these sunken in complete nasal mm -hmm. fra framework, these are the, the bad stories. And uh, they are not very common, but I see them more and more. And I discussed it also with Enrico. And he's also, because he's also 
a guy who is doing a rib reconstruction and uh, these guys who, is, who are doing uh, a lot of reconstructive surgery, they, they see these complications. And, and to yeah. revise it, you, you have to redo all the osteotomies. You, you have to bring it up. Maybe you need uh, microplates and, and you need anti exactly. rib. You need everything. And it takes a long time uh, to do that. And you have to restore the inner lining, uh, the, the nasal cavity. Therefore, I mean, these, these are very rare cases I see right now, uh, fortunately, but um, th these are heavy cases and nobody should, should think everything is charming, everything is quick, it's easy money job, so let's say uh, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, it, it doesn't, sometimes I'm so upset when, when somebody says, okay, it's only 30 minutes, what, what does it mean 30 minutes? What counts is the, the, the long-term follow-up, it's a good result, and a very low complication rate. No, no matter what's what's about the time. The time comes when you get more experience. When you when you you get uh, um, maybe more cases. But but um, we should be a bit more careful. That's why I think in the same way as Wolfgang does. So perfect idea. Um, big big merits to all these people who did that. Big merits to people who who published that. Um, maybe mostly um, the, the group um, of uh, Yves Sabon, um, but we have to take care. Yeah. No, Werner, that's, that's a, I think it's, I can't <laughs> add anything. One sure. last question I have for you. Cone beam CT scans. There kind of almost seems to be a reluctance about scanning a patient beforehand. I, I think it's, it's, essential part of our armamentarium before any surgery that we have to have a CT scan of the nose you've got to see what's going on there yeah what sure absolutely uh, for me it's a must I, I mean this is also a must then to do an endoscopy I mean you, you can't do a nose job without endoscopy because um, maybe there's a, a septal perforation behind and you do a nose job and somebody turns up with a settled nose deformity and you you are, you did everything right but the um, the, the conditions were so bad that it was not your fault. So to do that endoscopy and of course um, CT scan because I think there are so uh, maybe functionally important pathologies as a, a conchabulosa or um, a piriform aperture stenosis, which is which is a bad uh, pathology concerning the the breathing. And, and more, and um, therefore, for me, it's a must. Um, it's not a, not a CT scan, a cone beam CT would be the best. Absolutely, mm -hmm. that's what we've got here. Well, guys, this has been so interesting to listen to Werner. Werner, thank okay. you. Um, shout out again to Vectra who enabled this podcast. Guys, make sure you get yourself one of those cameras. Uh, You've got to get a cone beam scanner. You've got to get a Vectra camera. You've got to do functional testing. You've got to look in the nose or go and do something else. But yeah, thank you very much to all the listeners from around the world. Um, guys, we really appreciate your support. It's, it's been so encouraging how many people listen to this podcast. Please come back again next week uh, to listen and send me any questions, etc. Um, if you have or other people you're interested in, in interviewing. But Werner, from my side and from... I guess all 600 other members of the Rhinoplasty Society of Europe, we're thrilled that you are new president. We really hope things go well, and we, we're looking forward to seeing you in Berlin next year. In, in Would June. be a pleasure, and um, thanks for having me.